Hello and welcome to another episode of the China Path podcast. James Scullin here from the Australia-China Business Council. While 2018 marks the 40th anniversary of China's reform and opening up, it's also the year that the Australia-China Council commemorates its first 40 years. Five years after Australia began its engagement with the People's Republic of China, the ACC was established as an institution within the Australian government devoted to promoting mutual understanding and fostering people-to-people relations between Australia and China. As the ACC looks back on its four decade-long achievements, I caught up with its current chair, the Honourable Warwick Smith, to look back on the work of the ACC to foster ties in economic diplomacy, education and arts and culture. We discuss the work undertaken by the ACC in agriculture in China, arts exchanges that have seen numerous tours of the Australian ballet to China, The Age helping to set up the China Daily, the first Chinese English language media entity in the PRC, and FASIC, the Foundation for Australian Studies in China. Warwick Smith is Senior Managing Director and Chairman for Australia and New Zealand Banking Group Limited and Chairman, Advisory Board of Australian Capital Equity, which holds diverse interests in broadcasting, mining, construction, machinery and investments across Australia and Asia. Prior to his current roles, Mr Smith was an Executive Director at Macquarie Bank, Chairman of Asia Society, Chairman of the Australia-China Business Council and a Member of the Federal Parliament from December 1984 to March 1993. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I'm here today in Canberra with the Honourable Warwick Smith, the current chair of the Australia-China Council. Warwick, thanks a lot for dropping by to the podcast. Congratulations on the 40th anniversary of the ACC. Um, how have you been celebrating the ACC's milestone so far this year? Uh, several different things uh, have been undertaken, and but firstly, thank you for the Australia-China Business Council's invitation to make a contribution. We have last week been in Beijing having a round of meetings and, uh, with a whole host of people that have been of assistance to the Australia-China Council over its 40-year journey. Uh, it's always been assisted by the embassy in uh, uh, Beijing. We did a range of activities with them and also with media and also at uh, one of the leading universities, uh, which I'll talk about later. Mm. So that started and now we're in Canberra um, where we have um, our board meeting, the final one for the year. And then we have a, uh, a launch of a book that we've completed uh, of the 40-year journey of the Australia-China Council, which is a fascinating journey. And then we complete it with uh, our head of state, uh, Sir Peter Cosgrove, holding a uh, dinner this evening mm. uh, to Yarra Lumla uh, with the Chinese ambassador and a range of other uh, dignitaries that are featured in the um, Australia-China Council's journey. Mm. And then we're going to flood the market right. uh, with the <laughs> Australia-China Council book of... Uh, uh, its journey, and yep. it'll be available uh, free on uh, DFAT's website, and uh, there'll be many, because it's in Chinese and Australian, Great, and it'll find its way into many, many different locations mm. across both countries. Excellent. Well, we'll be sure to have any relevant links to that on this episode's uh, website. Thank you for that. Um, now, Warwick, if we could go back to 1978, um, what was the rationale for setting up the Australia-China Council back then? Well, in 1978, we'd only just started our diplomatic relations. Uh, China had only just really um, uh, reached out to the world. And uh, so we had diplomatic relations for just under five years. Our first ambassador was Dr Stephen Fitzgerald, mm. who will be present tonight. Um, he was asked by the then foreign minister to give advice about how we might accelerate the process 
of Australians particularly having a deeper understanding of China. Mm. Uh, he gave advice about that, and um, the advice was to set up a council, but a council that's a little different in that it wasn't just driven by the Department of Foreign Affairs. It reached broadly across the community and sought um, people to be appointed to a formal council, which is appointed by the Foreign Minister and the Governor-General for fixed terms to bring the expertise that lay within a broad range of uh, Australian community to the table about assessing uh, grants. Grants were are provided every year in a range of different areas um, to be able to enhance the opportunity for Australians in all of those different areas to engage with China. Was China engaging in similar initiatives with uh, other Western countries back then? Um, it, most, most countries at that stage uh, had started the process of um, uh, understanding and, and taking more about China uh, into their community. Some of them did it through institutional methods, the Germans, um, the British, the French, uh, Canadians were late starters, the US. So there were some pre-existing models that those countries used. Okay. Um, ours was a uh, special response on a bilateral basis okay. and actually mirrored in the Department of Foreign Affairs around Korea and Japan as well. Right, okay. Yeah. And so what were some of the first um, grantees back in 1978? Uh, well, there's some grants to uh, take some uh, concept of agricultural issues. Okay. But fundamentally, the early grants were all about culture uh, culture in its broadest definition, but we took a lot of literature into the universities and other places uh, for translation purposes and became foundation documents for Chinese trying to understand Australian culture. Um, now that went particularly well, and over time the granting rounds have changed a little bit because it's reflecting what has been happening in the relationship. When this relationship started, China was, was not a hardly a an existing trading relationship at all. Right. It's now become our largest trading relationship in the space of 40 years. It's become the largest provider of students to our universities. It's become the largest provider of tourism to our country, let alone we all know about coal and iron ore and gold. So it's a, a relationship that's now very, very diverse on a trading relationship. Yeah. Has economic impact. Mm. So we, we focus on some of those things. But not forgetting culture. Yeah. You know, we are countries that have a lot of collaborative arrangements, uh, a lot of things and reason to be working together, and we do, but we're two very different cultures, so we're quite keen to see each, each country understand that culture. Well, it's interesting that a lot of the economic development now between um, Australia and China and the economic relationship is essentially buttressed by that culture that was initiated back in um, 1978. You mentioned there was some literature exchange between Australia and China. Can you recall what that literature was? What was it? One of, one of the key interesting ones, one of the key interesting, mm. and, and, it, and it started actually a bit before the council was uh, Patrick White's uh, books. Um, uh, an eminent Chinese uh, historian came and uh, spent some time uh, in Australia and uh, took back uh, a range of Patrick White's books and bless him, he translated them, okay. and they became core, core books in curricula in some of the um, universities. Uh, How's ACC's mandate changed over time compared to 1978? I think that the, the fundamental issue, James, is that the relationship has changed as China has changed. Mm. You know, Australia's grown, yeah. and China's grown, but China's grown at a pace which was not anticipated in 1978. 
simply not anticipated, not by Australia, not by the world. That has meant that the rapid urbanisation of China, the rapid increase in the number of universities and uh, the Australian presence uh, within uh, Chinese universities has grown as well. There's now 39 locations, Australian study centres in uh, universities and institutes across China, almost in every part of the country. This means that thousands of um, Chinese students are able to immerse themselves a little bit, uh, a deeper piece, uh, if they wish, to do postgraduate studies about Australia. Not just about its literature yeah. and its art, but about its economy, about its institutional structure. You know, our institutional structure in Australia is very different to China's institutional sure. structure. Yeah. We, we have very different uh, systems, but we have a deep collaborative uh, arrangement that goes right back for 40 years. So you also mentioned agriculture. Was some of the... Was some of the agriculture connection based on um, educating the Chinese about farming techniques and, and, and different technologies of fertiliser? Yeah, look, there's fertiliser, there's quarantine issues, wow. there's, uh, there was sheep farming. You know, China now today is the largest purchaser of Australian wool. Mm. Um, the wool scouring and fellmongering, which is, you know, cleaning wool. Uh, where we were leaders here in Australia. That's largely done in China now with techniques that have been developed by and in part by CSIRO and others. So, And now we're doing much more stone fruits. Uh, there's a whole range of different areas. Dairy is a growing area. You, you, you hear all about uh, dairy product, but um, we're doing on-farm dairy expertise uh, and uh, animal husbandry. Mm. So um, that area is uh, growing. It's not just Australia-China Council doing it. It's, it's really a, a flag saying that the relationships are changing. Uh, China has 1.4 billion people. Mm. Um, uh, governments are responsible for uh, provision of food. So Australia, uh, with its capability, its technique, its uh, irrigation capabilities, all of those things uh, readily tested uh, in our rather harsh environment. And uh, so there's lots of opportunities and they grow, let alone selling end product. Mm. You know, the higher protein um, consumption by China means that... Uh, much of our product range is uh, in demand. We're, we're a premium quality supplier. Mm. Um, we don't just supply quantity. We look to supply premium quality. So, you know, our beef is a key. Mm. Uh, we're, yeah. we're competitors to other suppliers. But ours is, a, ours is a better meat. Ours is a better iron ore. Ours is a better, you know, gold. And ours is a better education or a better tourism experience. So we want to let China understand our capability set yeah. Um, uh, the physical attraction of what Australia has to offer and the ACC plays its small part in what we describe as the soft diplomacy agenda, mm. uh, which is more broadly than just economic, it's cultural, mm. um, uh, to uh, take those messages. Great. Mm. So how many grants does the ACC give out annually these days? It gave out this last year 29, 29 we awarded um, and 138 uh, applications, but they at the 130 were culled down substantially, mm. um, and um, so 29 finally awarded. Two thirds of people were disappointed. It wasn't about merit; it was mm. just about sheer incapacity uh, to meet the demand. So we were generally getting six to seven million dollars worth of grant applications, and being able to satisfy after a rigorous assessment up to about nearly a million. So okay. yeah. you know the demand is there. Yeah. Uh, but we're all fiscally restrained, mm. um, and so we try the grants to spread them as widely as we can. So the um, the ACC's mandate 
quote, makes recommendations to the Australian government through the Minister for Foreign Affairs on strengthening the Australia-China relationship and furthering <coughs> Australia's foreign policy and economic diplomacy interests, end quote. Um, how does the ACC change as Australian governments change? We're, we're mindful of whoever the minister is of the day, but over a 40-year period it's been a success story because the people that are the custodians, uh, the council members at any particular time, are volunteers from the community, chosen by a range of different uh, governments. Um, and um, it's been a success program, uh, really, for us. Um, it's built the relationship on uh, its independence and it cooperates with governments, primarily national, but you know, has liaison with state governments mm. because of the granting schemes. I'm a typical example. I was appointed by one government and reappointed by another. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, that's been the case quite often. And, and foreign ministers keep traditionally a close relationship with the ACC board? During the seven years now that I've been the chair, I've had, had several foreign ministers and uh, I've been uh, in touch with them all the time, partly telling them what ACC is doing, partly uh, to get some feedback on broadly um, my sense of where the relationship is going in a, in a cultural sense and um, in my case, obviously, um, I'm very active for a very long time in business uh, mm in China at uh, many different levels. Mm. What do you think are some of the current challenges in the relationship? Well, the relationship's gone through a little bit of a, a testing period uh, recently. I think it's uh, in better shape uh, as we close the year mm. of 2018. That's certainly how we found things uh, last week. China relations with the world is uh, testing in some areas and, uh, and running well in others. So, it, and that really reflects on the large economic impact that has across the globe. My sense is that in the last two years, the trading environment, the business environment has been good. It's mm. been steady. Yeah. Our economy is, is strong. Their economy is strong, undergoing some changes. But its overall growth is uh, it's double our growth, so it's, uh, it's not all bad. Uh, plenty of issues to think about. Both uh, countries survived the global financial crisis. Mm. Uh, we largely survived because of the strong export receipts um, we were receiving. Yeah, uh, huge demand uh, yeah. from China. Yeah, so that was a, a good underlying uh, issue for us. The core of that, our relationship now is not just inquisitorial about the culture, mm. but it's that continues, but it's also a core issue about our economic relationship was very strong. Yeah. And the stronger that gets, I think, the better able we are to deal with differences. Well, there is something about the relationship where it's, it's, it's proven that it, it, it can weather storms and, and as being two drastically different countries as Australia and China are, where it, there is some inevitability about there being some challenges in the relationship, but the way the relationship will revert back to, to strength based on the complementarity of mm -hmm. economies um, it is a testament to the fact that the relationship is fundamentally quite strong. I think it's strong. Um, you know, one of the things that you just mentioned, I think, underpins it, the, the complementarity. Mm. Um, the complementarity grows, if complementarity is a term that can grow. Yep. There's more and more uh, that we see uh, uh, supports the relationship. You know, you see now a lot of um, Chinese business people and government people have many of their own uh, children here, at not just universities, but at schools. Yeah. Uh, many more visit here. Um, that level of a new complementarity has emerged aggressively in the last five years. And it's not just pure how many tonnes of this or uh, kilos of that uh, that yeah. flows in one direction. Yeah. We probably don't see as much foreign direct investment from Australia into China yet, but over time 
and much opportunity there that will grow. Okay. Uh, we see a lot um, coming in this direction, mainly around uh, domestic property. But, um, yeah, the complementarity is growing. Mm. And in diversity. <laughs> mm. So, Warwick, one of the primary focuses of the uh, Australia-China Council is enhancing the people-to-people links between Australia and China. What, what is it about people-to-people links that can't be gained through traditional diplomatic channels? Well, you know, um, we did a grant, for example, we've looked at sport, you know. Okay. Port Adelaide allegedly is a good cub, club in the, uh, the AFL. Oh, right, yeah. Not my choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, we've taken uh, and supported Port Adelaide to have demonstration matches and now they're taking to another part of China, teaching children a little bit about one of our national sports. We've gone there and we've supported lawn bowls uh, into into China. We may do more around uh, basketball, big big issue, basketball in China. Yeah. So, you know, sport has become a new area. Sure, um, And yeah. that might otherwise not have happened. We've done a little bit more on uh, um, uh, economic diplomacy. Okay. Um, you know, ACBC, for example, has had uh, grants to take and do programs that are giving deeper understanding of the business environment and yeah. how it works here. Yeah, which have been much appreciated too. Yeah. And, and well-deserved too, mm. because ACBC has done a brilliant job in China over a long period of time and enhanced the SME market and the larger corporate interface um, both within Australia and a deeper understanding right across China, particularly in the bigger trading hubs. Um, mm. But that's emerging now in, in first-tier cities, but second-tier cities and third-tier cities uh, across yeah. China. Well, it even goes to fifth and sixth yeah. tier these days. Yeah, it's just uh, grown uh, very substantially, and so it's changed its foci, mm. uh, so has our country. Mm. Um, and so what have been some of the highlights, if we think of arts and culture? Well, there's been a couple of celebrated um, cultural um, okay. uh, visitations. Um, in the early 80s, uh, the nine terracotta warriors came uh, to uh, Victoria. Oh, they and, did, right. Yes, and yeah, that was supported and, by the ACC. Yes, mm. and um, it's in the early 80s, and over 300,000 people in Melbourne alone. Mm. Now, in the early 80s, 300,000 people to an exhibition uh, about a China matter is quite significant, and now we're you know, 30 years on. Um, we, we're seeing uh, uh, thousands and thousands of Chinese turn up to Shanghai to watch a performance of the Australian Ballet that took place this year yeah, in Shanghai. Yeah. So um, the interest has grown. It hasn't waned. Mm. Um, you know, culture is a living uh, a living issue, really. It's a window into a community at any particular time, mm. and it's a good way to look at a community to understand its culture, uh, and that's why we record uh, so much of our culture, our art, our you know live performances, and that's why, uh, you know, Peking has a new, Beijing has a new, you know, opera house. And uh, so the, the culture is, a, is ongoing and uh, the deep commitment. So uh, if you want to understand culture and you want to understand a country, that's synonymous. Uh, you know, you know, so that's why we do it. Great. Um, and thinking about education, um, so there's the, the foundation of Australian study centres across China. How long have they been active in China? Uh, they've been going for four years and uh, as chair of the... Australia China Council. I sit on that board okay. as a key participant. Yeah, uh, the Australia China Council funds uh, FASIC, but we do it in a cooperative way. We have um, a large Australian company, BHP, that provides a very large amount of money every year. Has done for four years to enable us to grow FASIC, the Foundation of Australian Studies in China. We appoint a um, senior Australian academic as the chair of the Australia uh, China Studies Centre in Peking University, probably the key university. Uh, He coordinates programs within that university, but more importantly helps to coordinate programs in the 39 other centres 
that fall into the FASIC ambit, okay. which have been also funded and coordinated through the ACC. And that's been, in part, the cultural outlet that took firstly the literature and now runs a broader range of courses within China available to Chinese students. So we're bringing in Australian students, but we're also inviting Chinese students into Australia programs within the universities. We have an annual conference, um, different parts of China each year in the university, to facilitate discussion about Australia uh, programs within Chinese universities. Mm. And that's growing in importance, and um, we're starting to see uh, other corporate interests, which will help provide even more funds. What, what areas of Australia are of particular interest to Chinese students? It's interesting um, uh, you ask that question. I asked that the other day at Peking University where uh, I spoke to about 250 uh, uh, Chinese <laughs> students. A lot are interested in our institutional framework. Okay. Yeah, so in other words, politics okay. um, and how our structures work. Um, a lot are interested in uh, economics. There's still a large number that are linked to um, you know, cultural literature uh, programs, social sciences uh, programs, uh, looking at demographics. So the range is wide, but um, Chinese students are interested in different systems, studying different institutional systems. And Australia is a good study. It's, it's a complementary country in the Australian-China uh, relationship. It's very complementary. So we're starting to you know, see our aim and our intention realised. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. On the previous episode of the podcast, I interviewed um, four uh, Chinese students who are currently studying in Melbourne, and one of them mentioned um, Australia's systems as being uh, one of the reasons why she chose to, to mm. study in Australia and learn about yeah. Australia's institutions. And I met a couple there they're doing uh, media uh, studies. You know, how does Australia's media work? Okay. Um, and... Uh, um, uh, and, and some of them see what are the career opportunities. You know, given that the second spoken language in Australia is uh, Chinese, yeah. um, there's more and more uh, Chinese here and there's Chinese media and yeah. how does that work? Some of us have worked in the media in China uh, in uh, recent years and work in the media here. So there's a whole new area that in 1978 you, you, you would not have envisaged Although some Australians went from Fairfax, the age in Melbourne, mm. to go and help set up the China People's uh, Daily. Well, that's you know. an amazing story. It's an amazing story. So um, it's been reported on and it's about taking skill. Uh, we, we deal institutionally differently with the media in both countries. Yeah. But in the end, we, uh, we hope that they search for truth and uh, report truth and uh, enhance people's deep uh, understanding. And uh, it's not just opinion and for other reasons. Back then with the collaboration between The Age and, and China Daily, what was it in particular that China Daily wanted to learn about from an Australian media organisation? People want to learn how to, how to run a newspaper, how to put a newspaper together, how to do, you know, there's the journalism and the stories, then there's the layout, then there's the economics, and then there's placing pictures and getting pictures, and there's a sort of whole bunch of fundamental issues. And remember, it was mainly print media then. Yeah. And I know I spent six years myself on the board of the Shanghai Daily News, the English newspaper in uh, in Shanghai, where an Australian company that I was working with had an equity interest, large equity interest, and we would bring in uh, editors and sub-editors. How do you actually uh, put commerciality around uh, a newspaper? Um, a cynic would say it was never able to be achieved in Australia, but newspaper industry is a hard industry economically, but it has a very, very important social purpose, and the independence of our media is a cornerstone of the success of our institutional framework. may not always like it. So I always tell my Chinese colleagues, you, you may not always like it, but if the independence of our media, like the independence and incorruptibility of our judiciary, are cornerstones 
of our institutional uh, activity yeah. and uh, serve us well, mm. uh, even though from time to time uh, people might have different views. But in, in essence, those, those sort of values, those sort of skills and uh, printing capability, I mean, printing's changed. It's all digital now. It yeah. wasn't in 1978 and prior to then when they were doing those programs. I think that collaboration between uh, The Age and China Daily really shows that, you know, China really had a, a curiosity um, about the West and um, and admission that it needed to learn from the expertise of Western countries. Do you think China still has that need to learn expertise from, from foreign countries or do you think China has more of a confidence to, to teach itself and, and go it alone these days? Um, a, a great question. Uh, China is um, far more confident, far more sure of its position in the world. It has uh, patiently built up knowledge in any number of areas. It's competitive in many, many areas now. It's the largest provider of capital to the world mm. through its uh, very large banks, mainly off the very large deposit base that it has and the capability of many of its uh, corporates to um, be around the world, whether they be state-owned enterprises or uh, standalone com truly commercial enterprises. So it's far more confident. But it seems to me, and is my observation, is... China never ever wants to stop learning mm. and will always seek out good understanding and good support mm. to enhance the overall desire of China and that is China wants to matter in the world. Mm. It really wants to be respected and it wants to matter in the world because it's subjected itself to um, feeling uh, secondary mm. uh, uh, given what has taken place in its you know, what they would describe as near-term history, 200 years. So it's, um, it's not an aggressive assertiveness, but it's a confidence. Mm. And um, we would be well to understand that and allow our collaborative model in Australia to find those areas where we can seek their knowledge and support and capability, and they likewise seek ours and let that complementarity be the cornerstone. Mm. So whether it be an intellectual life, be in cultural life, it be an economic life, they're going to be drivers for the future. Does the ACC still work closely with the Chinese government? Oh, yes, yes, mm. yes the Chinese government. The, here in Australia, the consulates, yep. um, uh, embassy, obviously, um, a range of different uh, cultural organisations, uh, many visit and um, uh, many different companies, state-owned enterprises and others. We have a good dialogue with many different institutions and um, uh, departments out of uh, Beijing and uh, in uh, some of the large provincial administrations. So, yes, we do. Yeah, mm. okay. It's an essential part of you know, the interface. So, Warwick, the tagline for the uh, celebration of the ACC is the, the first 40 years of the Australia-China relationship. Um, can I ask, what are, you, what are you looking forward to over the next 40 years? What do you think are going to be some of the prevailing themes going forward? Well, the, the search always continues to do what is relevant to a changing relationship in a changing world. Uh, we've road tested this model between Australia and China through this uh, innovative council and the road test has gone for 40 years and it's been successful. Mm. It's, um, it's a key, key participant in what we describe as soft diplomacy. It doesn't seek to be controversial. It's not political. It's a uh, strongly bipartisan, uh, has been, and that's been part of its success. We had even a former Prime Minister was chairman 
the Australia-China Council at one time. Mm. So it's been driven by all the very best of motives. So that model works. Um, taking it forward, um, there are probably a few areas that we can... Um, we, we changed to much more of a focus on economic diplomacy uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, that will obviously continue. Yep. There will be uh, more issues around education, more issues around probably widening the ambit into places like sport and fashion. We think that on education we can deepen our relationships between Australian universities and the presence we have in China yep. where that's appropriate. There won't be any radical change of direction because there doesn't need to be. This is in the end about people-to-people -people relationships. You know, We have uh, a new Colombo plan, the largest number of students going offshore, a new Colombo plan go to China. Mm. So that, that, that interface... Uh, uh, with uh, what we're doing through our ground system and what's happening within the UNIVI sector, you have the capacity to bring some of that together. Working, um, we had a wonderful uh, breakfast there with uh, ACPC's counterpart, uh, Chamber of Commerce in uh, Beijing. So mm. those, the collaborative model internally within Australia in the diversity of connections that take place um, I think, can be enhanced in our national interest. Fantastic. OK, well, thanks a lot for your time today, Warwick. As, as one of the current grantees of the Australia-China Council, the organisation means a lot to the ACBC, as, as I'm sure it does to a lot of other grantees. Mm. All the best for the celebrations for the rest of the year and um, all the best going forward for the ACC. You're, you're very welcome, and thank you for ACBC's continued strong support for the agenda of uh, the Australia-China Council. Mm. We're there to be complementary to all of us who are doing good work in this vital relationship. My thanks to Warwick for looking back on the ACC's first four decades. And as mentioned, you can download a soft copy of the ACC's 40-year anniversary book on this episode's show notes at www.acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts, where you can also find past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher or Yoku. Please do leave a review and pass on the podcast to a friend, colleague or client who has an interest in China and may be interested in one of our episodes. We'd also naturally like to thank the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trades Australia-China Council for their support of the podcast and immense contribution to Australia-China relations over the past 40 years. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for listening and until next time, 再见.